Well, thanks for the opportunity I have to be here with you this morning, and uh, welcome to each one of you, and Happy New Year. Hope that you're having a good start to your year your so far. And uh, one person said I read recently, they said, I can't wait to get to the year 2021, because then I can look back and say, in hindsight is always 2020. There you go, hindsight is always 2020. Well, perhaps like Maybe you and like others, they make resolutions, any New Year's resolutions that you've made. Unfortunately, as you know, many people don't fulfill their New Year's resolutions, and that can be quite discouraging. After maybe a week or a month, or maybe people get to three months, but statistics show us that most people don't keep up with their New Year's resolutions. So maybe it's best if we try to be a little bit more realistic. So how about some of these? Uh, that make it a little bit more easier to fulfill. So number one, New Year's resolution, gain weight. Isn't that a good one? At least 10 pounds. And I know we're only into January the 3rd, but maybe you're halfway there already. Keep it up, you can do this. Yes, we're gonna get there. 10 pounds more this year. Good New Year's resolution. How about this one? Stop exercising. That's a good one, right? It's just a waste of time. In fact, I read recently that someone says, you know what, we should, at a certain age, everyone should get a letter in the mail that says, congratulations, you have now reached the part of your life that you no longer need to exercise. Begin now your incessant eating. Well, I still haven't got that letter in the mail, so maybe I still have to exercise, but ah, who cares, just a waste of time anyway. How about this one, read less. It makes you think too much, gives you a headache, so read less. Ah, watch more TV. That's a good one, right? You might be missing a few good shows. And don't forget to procrastinate, starting tomorrow. And spend more time at work surfing the internet. Now, aren't those some really good New Year's resolutions that I'm sure each one of us can use and fulfill this year? Well, I don't know about you, but I always look forward to a new year. It's a new start. And I confess that I do make a list. It's actually not so much a, a New Year's resolution list, but rather more aspirations, things that I would like to accomplish. A little bit less pressure on myself. One of them last year as I look back was I wanted to, to renew my the, uh, language, the Portuguese language. We were missionaries in Brazil for 10 years and learned the Portuguese language. That was 20 years ago. So my Portuguese is, you know, use it or lose it. So my resolution or my aspiration last year was to, you know, pick up on my Portuguese. You know, I didn't do as much as I'd kind of hoped to and planned to, but you know, I did it. And I certainly did a lot more than if I hadn't had it as my aspiration. And this year I have a new one, and that is to review some of my music theory. I like I liked music and I studied music theory back in high school and you know, I forgot a lot of it, but you know what? One of my aspirations this year is to review some of that music theory and even to write a little piece of music. So that's one of my aspirations. You can ask me next year, how did you do with that aspiration? Well, when I think of a new year, I like to think of it as the beginning of a race, a marathon of 365 days. And if you're ready for a race, people say, on your mark, Set, go, right? But I've changed it. Our message today is called the New Year Marathon of 2021. On your mark, set, pray. 
Yes, the first thing to do for us as Christians should be to pray as we enter into the new year. When we lived in Brazil, the church that we were attending there had this tradition. And the tradition was that the church would gather on New Year's evening and they would play games, they would have a meal, they would have fellowship, and they would uh, have a Bible study. And then at 12 o'clock or just before 12 o'clock, everyone would begin to pray. And so we entered into the new year praying. A good little tradition. Although it was kind of hard because, you know, it's summer there in Brazil in the new year, and it was pretty noisy. People like firecrackers and fireworks, and it was pretty noisy, people trying to pray. And I thought, you know, why don't we just stop for a minute, go outside, enjoy the fireworks? But people, they really enjoyed their praying during that time. It was a good tradition. And my wife, when she was growing up, her church's tradition was to, uh, every night of the first week of the new year, was to meet together and have a prayer meeting, which is a great way to begin the new year. So certainly we should begin the year praying. And how should we pray? Well, we can learn prayer from many people in the Bible. The Bible has some great prayers, and most of the Psalms actually are prayers. I want to encourage you, if you have time later on today or this week, is a good Psalm for the, the new year would be uh, Psalm 1 or Psalm 25 or Psalm 145 or Psalm 23, Psalm 90, which are some really good prayers of trust that you can look up. So Psalm 1, Psalm 23, Psalm 25. I'd really encourage you to do Psalm 25 if you can't remember all those I mentioned. But we also have various other prayers in the Bible. And the Apostle Paul, he has written some prayers that are noted in Scripture. And that's what we want to look at this morning. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Colossians chapter 1. And uh, Paul here is going to say a prayer. And he's also going to talk about, it's going to teach us not only how that we can learn to pray, but also how we can uh, live our lives. So it's a very timely prayer. And these are some of my favorite verses of the Bible. And I often come back to these verses and beginning of a new year or when it's on my birthday or something like that to give me a sense of direction for my own life. So let's read together. And my translation might be a little bit different than yours, so sorry about that. But if you have your Bibles at home, you can look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And I believe they're on the screen as well that you can follow along. For this reason... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So let's see what we can learn from Paul's prayer that will inform us not only how to pray as we enter this new year, but also to encourage us 
and inspire us to live a life as we begin the marathon of a new year. So the first thing we know here about in Paul's prayer is that prayer should be continual. Continual. In verse 9 it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Our prayers throughout this year should be regular and continual. Some people only pray in a crisis. Maybe when they've lost their job, or maybe they're going through a financial crisis, or maybe they're in a pandemic. And I think, actually, websites have showed us in the past year that a lot of people were searching about prayer during this past year. And I believe that there was a lot more people praying, and there's a lot of prayers going up to God during this pandemic time. But we shouldn't just pray during a crisis, but our prayers should be continual. I remember a story, my uh, friend Phil Calloway, who's an author, we grew up in the same town of Three Hills together, and he writes in one of his books as how his, uh, his son was misbehaving in church and making quite noise and commotion, right? And so Phil Calloway grabbed his child and was taking him out of the auditorium there, and the boy yelled out, please pray for me! Yeah, the boy was in a crisis. He knew he was in trouble. But we shouldn't just pray during a crisis, but continually and regularly. Someone asked, how long should we continue to pray for the salvation of one of our friends? And the answer was, well, how much do you love your friend? Pastor George Mueller the story goes that he prayed for his fr some of his friends for over 40 years for two of his friends that they would be saved. And one was saved just before George Mueller died. And the other one was saved at his funeral, at George Mueller's funeral. So the point is, don't stop loving and don't stop praying. So prayer is a great way. It's a great aspiration to have this year that we are going to continue to pray. And it's a great way to begin a new year. So what is Paul's first petition, his first request that he makes? We see this here in verse 9. He says, I pray, I am praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In the context of Colossians, they were going through a lot of, uh, there were a lot of false teachers there. So Paul knew that if they had this, that they would be protected, this wisdom, they would be protected from this false teaching and the errors that they were being threatened with. And it is an important thing to have knowledge. Knowledge can bring security and confidence and even a measure of power and authority. I remember uh, a sense of confidence that I had when I was in high school. Our teacher, our grade 12 math teacher, we had this big, thick textbook. And he says, you know what? This year, and even on the final exam, I'm only going to ask questions from this math textbook. And if you can do those, you're going to be fine. And I remember thinking, wow, this is great, because you know what? All the answers were in the back of the book. Now, they didn't tell you how to do them, but I thought, you know, if I could just learn how to do all the problems to get the same answer that in the back of the book, I'm going to be good. And so that's what I did. I studied, 
And when I entered into that test, I thought to myself, you know what, it was a great feeling, a feeling of confidence. I thought to myself, you know what, if you keep your word, teacher, you cannot ask a question on this test that I'm not prepared to answer and try and figure out. And you know, that was a great sense of confidence that I could go into that test knowing that uh, I had the answers. But this is not that kind of a knowledge that Paul's talking about here. But it's the same kind of knowledge that can give us confidence as we go through life. Paul's, the knowledge that Paul talks about here is the knowledge of God's will. And God's will includes the whole purpose of God as revealed in Christ. And more specifically here, especially to this context, is how to live a godly Christian life. To be filled with such knowledge means that we are, it's to pervade everything about us, to pervade, pervade our thoughts and our affections, our emotions, our purposes, and our plans. And this knowledge is related and is the basis of spiritual wisdom and understanding. Wouldn't it be great if we could know clearly God's will in every situation? How to spend our time and our energy and our money? How to relate to various peoples to have great healthy relationships? How to bless others best? How to live an abundant life? God's will is something that we want and need to know so it is very relevant for our lives. And fortunately, God's will is knowable. God has revealed his will to us in nature and mostly in scriptures, in God's word. He's had revealed his word and his will to us through his word. And also scripture tells us that God has provided his Holy Spirit who lives within us as believers and who does reveal God's will to our spirit. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John, it says the Spirit guides us and convicts us and teaches us. And Paul teaches us in the book of Romans in chapter 8 that when we walk in the Spirit, we will be led, we will be guided by the Spirit of God. So God's will is knowable. So in this new year, let's be bold like Paul in praying for the knowledge of God's will for ourselves for our church leaders, and for other believers. And the reason that we need to know God's will is evident and related to the next part of Paul's writing here in these verses. So it says here in verse 10, so I'll just pick it up in verse 9, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and we pray this in order, here's the reason, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Living a life worthy of God is based on and grows out of our knowledge of the divine will. So God gives this knowledge of his will for a reason, so that we can live this kind of a life. This is practical knowledge. I'm sure that we've all learned some things that have not been very practical in our lives. In fact, this past weekend, we were playing an online game with our relatives in BC. And maybe you know this game, it's called Things in a Box. And you're given a statement or a question, and everybody is supposed to write down, we just you know, put it in the chat, and then uh, what we think the answer is, and it can be a funny answer, it can be whatever, and then people have to guess uh, which one wrote that definition or the answer to that question. So with the first question is kind of an uh, interesting one. It said, 
what is something that you learned that you didn't have to learn? And I was kind of curious, so I wrote down, and somebody else wrote down the exactly the same thing, which was calculus in math. Like, we learned it in high school, but you know what? After high school, I never, ever used calculus again. It was kind of like worthless. And I'm sure lots of us have learned lots of things in life that were kind of like pointless. Didn't really need to know that. But for some, it would be obviously important, right? Engineers need to know calculus. But we live in a knowledge-based society. And with our information highways that saturate us with facts, often is not translated into wiser living. But the knowledge of God's will is something that's practical, something that we can use, because it leads to a life that is worthy of God and results in pleasing Him. Now, if you want, if you're on a sports team and you want to please your coach, well, then you better know the playbook and do what the coach says. If you want to please your teacher at school, you better, you know, know what that syllabus says and what the expectations are in the class so that you can do it. If you want to please your spouse, well, a little more complicated, you have to be able to read their minds, which is, as you know, is not a very easy thing to do at times. But if we want to please God, we must know and follow God's will as revealed in his word. And why is it that we should want to please God? Well, the first reason is because God's our creator. He made us. And also because he's our savior. He loves us so much. And because we are united with him as believers. So we should want to please the God who loves us and is our creator. But it's also because of who we are. Believers, as you know, we're called Christians, which means like little Christs. We have his name, and so we should reflect his character. The story is told of uh, a prisoner who had this reputation of thievery and being a coward was brought to the famous general and leader, Alexander the Great. And he stood before him, and Alexander the Great asked him, What's your name? And he says, My name is Alexander. And Alexander the Great said, Look, you have two choices. Change your name or change your behavior. As Christians, we are followers of Christ, and we need to live up to that name. Now, you don't have to watch the news long to hear some professional people who are involved in scandals, whether they be uh, professional politicians or professional financial wizards or professional uh, religious people, and many people fall and bring a scandal to their profession. I actually teach tennis as a coach. I'm a certified uh, Canada tennis uh, instructor. And every year, they send me a document that I am supposed to sign, which is the ethics, the ethical standard of a tennis instructor in Canada. And I do not get my certification if I do not sign and say, yes, I plan and I desire and I will live up to these expectations. When you are in a professional association, you have some standards that you need to live up to. In fact, I was coaching at one time in a place that also had offered squash and badminton, and they had coaches. And this club had just recently hired a squash coach. And that's the sport where you hit a ball against a wall. Uh, not nearly as great as tennis sport, but anyways. But uh, he had this reputation, unfortunately, of uh, when he played, he was a very intense person and player, and he tended to argue and yell at the referees, the umpires, during a match. And uh, 
I heard through the grapevine that uh, he was doing this, and the uh, administration of the club said, look it, you are supposed to set an example as a coach. We can't have you arguing and yelling at the referees. That's your first warning. If you do it again, you're fired. And you know what? He did it again, and he lost his job. There are expectations that people have of professional associations. And as Christians, we have a reputation. We bear the name of Jesus Christ, and we are to live. Not that we have to be perfect, but we are to live at a certain standard of a Christian life because we bear the name of Christ. So that is another reason why we are to live a life worthy of God. And we also are to live a life in order to please God. If we love someone, we will want to please them. Remember as a child going out of your way at times to please your parent or to please that special teacher that you really liked? Or being newly in love and you all think of all the silly things that you did to try and please that person that you were infatuated with and that you fell madly head over heels in love with? Well, in the same way, we should seek to please God, our Heavenly Father. And have you ever reflected on the fact that you can actually please God? You can delight God. You can make God happy. You can please Him. You can bring joy and delight to your Heavenly Father. Isn't that good to know as we enter the new year that we can actually bring delight to God, our Heavenly Father? And we can also please God in every way, it says here in, in, verse, in verse 10 here. We are to please God in every way. Not just when we're with our Christian friends at church or at our public best, but in every context, whether it be at home, at school, at work, whether we're driving on the road or we're playing sports, we are to live a life that is worthy of God and to please Him in every context. So we, are, we need to be consistent. And as we please God by our lives, God will be honored and glorified. And it will also benefit our own lives, as it will save us from getting into sinful, evil situations and save us from lots of heartache and misery. I trust and pray that in this coming year, this marathon of 2021, we will live to please God in every way, in all that we say and do. And this is truly a great prayer for ourselves and for others. So we've seen the reasons why we should please God, but let's take a look for a few minutes here at how we can live our lives in such a way that is worthy of God and pleases Him. Now, Paul uses here four participles. And for those who uh, need a reminder what a participle is, it's a word that ends in ing. There's more to it than that, but uh, we'll just leave that for now. So in, in the Greek text, Paul uses three words that end in the ing here. The first one we see here in verse 10. So he says, we, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. God's will for us and desire for us in the way that we can please him is by bearing fruit. In the Gospel of John 15, verse 8, Jesus says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Later on, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And Paul also speaks much 
about believers doing good works. One example is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, that says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Serving God and others by doing good works is what gives life our purpose and meaning and joy. I had an aunt, a great aunt, and she was struggling with depression for, for many years. And one of the ways that she was able to get herself out of that depression was to take her eyes off herself and begin serving others. She said that once she started to serve others, it really helped her come out of her severe depression. And I'm sure as you look back on 2020, the year, I'm sure you can think of many ways that you have done good works and blessed others. And as you think about 2021, I'm sure there's many ways that you will have opportunities to bless others and to serve others and to serve God. And perhaps there's a way you can do it right now. And maybe you're sitting there at home and somebody's thirsty, or maybe you want to top up somebody's cup of coffee or their cup of tea, or, or maybe you could give them a drink of water. So take a moment and even do right now, you can do an act of kindness in serving others. Or maybe you can say, you know, all those dirty dishes there in the sink from breakfast, and somebody can say, hey, I'm going to do those dishes. Yes, I'm going to do it. There you go. Some great ways you can serve others starts right in the home. But there will be many opportunities. You know, you're out shoveling your sidewalk in the winter, if we ever get winter this year, I'm not sure. But, uh, you know, it only takes you five extra minutes to shovel your neighbor's sidewalk. So go ahead and do that. Or maybe at work, just going a little extra mile. And I'm sure God will give you much creativity in opportunities that you can have to serve others and be a blessing to others. There's one church that I, I was reading a book, and this one church they had a, a, how should I put it, like just they really encouraged each one in their congregation to bless at least three people throughout the week. And one of the uh, people did is they knew a, a neighbor that liked to read the same books from the same author. And so when the new book came out, this fellow from this church, he bought this book, and he put a, a note in it to his neighbor and said some nice things about the neighbor. You know, that fellow received the book. Oh, he was so glad to receive this new book from this new author they both liked. And you know what? That fellow was going through some really difficult things. And that fellow, he tore that out of the front cover of that book or in that page of that book, and he put it in his wallet, and many, many times he pulled that out and reflected on what that fellow had written to him. You know, it's just a small thing. Sometimes even it's a small thing. We don't know the impact that that will have on other people, but it can have an amazing impact. We never know. So as we go through this new year, let's focus and let's have an aspiration to do good works and to bless others. The next thing that Paul writes here in verse 10, it says, growing in the knowledge of God. What is the most important thing in the world to know? Well, some would say, well, survival skills, if I ever get lost in the forest or in the bush somewhere, or, or how to succeed, or, or how to get rich, or how to have good relationships, or how to drive a car, how to drive a golf ball. But we know that God is a supreme being of this world and of this universe. He's a creator. He is the sovereign God. And so the most important thing that we could know, really, is to know God. Now, I have been married for 38 years, and you know, I'm still getting to know my wife. She is a complex person, as we all are complex people. 
And you can imagine how God, how complex God is. He is just so awesome and so amazing. And he is worthy to get to know. In fact, the Apostle Paul says this. This is one of his aspirations. He says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul's goal was to know Christ, to know God. Even though he was a mature believer, he says he had not attained to this, but was pressing on to know God. God is worthy of being known. And I encourage each one of us to make this as one of our aspirations is to know God more this year. The next thing we see is in verse uh, 10 as well. Actually, it's verse 11, beginning of verse 11. It says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance or perseverance and patience. Let's face it. We are humans, we are frail, we are weak, and we need God's strength. And God is our power source, and there is no energy shortage in God's kingdom. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. Here we see that the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us power to be a witness. And in this passage, we noticed in Colossians, we receive the power to live a life that is worthy and pleasing to God and also to have endurance and patience. Now, as you know, in life, we need perseverance, endurance. If you're in sports, you need to have endurance. I was following the, uh, maybe some of you are following the junior tournament that's going on in Edmonton right now, the World Junior Hockey Tournament. And yesterday there was a game and uh, Finland was playing Sweden. And Finland's kind of like the underdogs because Sweden has won the tournament many, several times. And Finland, in the third period, they were behind 2-0 going into the third period. But you know what? Did Finland give up and quit? No, they came back and ended up winning the game 3-2. They endured, persevered. In school, it's a long year. My wife's a teacher, I'm a teacher. You know, it's a long year for teachers. It's a long year for students. And we need to persevere. We need to persevere. This race of a new year is a long one. And we certainly need to have, to have perseverance. In fact, if you're listening to this message, you need perseverance, right? Mind you, you can always just turn it off or go take a walk if you'd like to. <laughs> but we need to have perseverance in all that we do. Unfortunately, many people fall away from the Christian faith. And we all know some of them. You know, it's not how we start the marathon of the Christian life. It's how we finish it. The Christian life is not a sprint, but a marathon. And we need God's strength and God's power to run a good race. At the end of Paul's life, he said, I have fought the fight. I have kept the faith. Therefore, there is reserved a crown for me. We need to have perseverance in our Christian life. And patience as well. Patience is not getting upset, even when things go wrong. And in spite of being wronged, one does not retaliate. Anybody here think they're going to need more patience in 2021? Anyone tired of wearing masks? Well, I for one, I'm going to need more patience. If you have children, you're going to need patience. If you have parents, 
You need patience. If you have siblings, you need patience. In fact, in you're watching this, maybe you need patience because somebody keeps doing something that kind of annoys you while you're watching the sermon, and you need to have patience. We all need it. If we have neighbors, we need patience. If we have a job, we all need patience. We all do it. And sometimes we need patience with ourselves. We have our own demands on ourselves. We are so many at times and too much, and we need to be patient with ourselves. We need God's strength to have patience during the year ahead. And the last participle here that Paul uses is also here in verse 11. He says, actually it's in verse 12. I'll pick it up in verse 11. You may have great patience and endurance and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. Giving thanks joyfully to the Father. Gratitude should be the attitude of all believers. The author G.K. Uh, Chesterton says, when it comes to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. The interesting thing about when Paul was writing this letter, he was actually in a prison. And yet, this letter is full of gratitude. Paul was a grateful per person even when he was in prison. And the reason that he could do that was because of the things that he thought about that he could be thankful for. The first thing here he notes, he says that he can be thankful for, is to, that he's been qualified to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Can you imagine if you were the heir of Bill Gates? Wouldn't that be a great thing? Or of some other billionaire? But yet the scripture teaches us that we are actually heirs of God. The Father, the sovereign God of the whole universe. Imagine that. I like the expression of Scotiabank. And I'm not a customer, actually, of Scotiabank. I'm not advertising for them, but I love their motto. You know what it is? You're richer than you think. You know, as believers, we're richer than we think because our Heavenly Father. We are all heirs of the Heavenly Father. And he goes on, he says there, in... Verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. We as believers have been rescued. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness, which represents evil and ignorance and falsehood and sin and destruction and the kingdom ruled by Satan. And we've been transferred into the kingdom of light, which represents life and holiness and truth and love and goodness and God's glory. It is great to be in the kingdom of light. The light gives us perspective to see things clearly. We can make sense of this world, and it gives us clear direction in our lives. Unfortunately, non-believers are in darkness, and they don't know the meaning and the purpose or have direction for their lives. The Bible says that they've been blinded by Satan, and they are in darkness. When I was a child, I was afraid of the dark. And you know what? As believers, we should still be afraid of the dark. We should be afraid of evil and avoid it at all costs and walk as children of the light. Believers have been placed in this kingdom, a kingdom of light, the kingdom of God where God and Christ rules and reigns. And at the present time, Jesus rules in our hearts and our lives. And one day, his, he will reign and rule here with power and glory. And the last reason that Paul gives... Uh, 
well, it's actually another. The third reason he gives to be thankful for is our redemption. He says, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. And then verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Bible teaches us that when we are not Christians, before we are believers, we are slaves of sin. We are slaves of Satan. We are prisoners of our own desires. But as Christians, we are no longer under condemnation. We are no longer under the wrath of God and the punishment of God. But we have been rescued. We have been redeemed. We have been bought with the blood of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. We have been redeemed. We have been set free. Can you imagine if you were a slave and then all of a sudden you got your redemption? I get the uh, newsletter of the uh, International Justice Ministries, IJM. You want to look that up later on. And their main purpose is to rescue people who are still in slavery in this world. And there's lots of slaves in this world. People who are working, child labor, and other people who are forced into slavery, and, and the sex trade and all that. And I've, I've read many stories of people's lives being rescued from bondage to slavery. And the stories they tell are just amazing. What joy and what freedom has brought them. We too have been rescued. We have been redeemed. We have been bought and we have great freedom as believers. And the last point here is forgiveness. The forgiveness of our sins. Isn't it great knowing that we can receive God's forgiveness? That we don't have to carry a load of shame and guilt with us? 1 John 1 Chapter, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, God is faithful and righteous, and he will forgive us from all our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And it's a great feeling to enter into a, a new year knowing that we can be forgiven of our sins. And each day, we can begin each new day as forgiven, without condemnation. So as we conclude, let's just briefly review what we've seen this, this morning so far. As we enter this new year, we can learn from this prayer, not only how we can pray, but also how we can live. We've learned that our prayers are to be continual, regular prayers, not just when we're in a crisis. And we are to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. How are we doing? Are we living a life that is worthy of the Lord? Are we seeking to please him in everything that we do? Certainly that is a great aspiration for us in the year ahead. What are some things that we might need to change? Maybe some habits, maybe some things that are stumbling us up in our Christian life. We need to change them. What about the good works? What kind of good works are we aspiring to do in the new year? How are we planning to bless others? How are we going to make our lives count by serving others? I want to encourage you also to grow in your knowledge of God, to love God more through, God, through, word, through God's word and through prayer. And perhaps you're here today and your, your faith is weak, or maybe you just feel that you can't go on. And, but by God's power, it says, God, according to his glorious power, can strengthen you in order that you will have perseverance, in order that you will have patience. So I want to encourage you also to be a thankful, positive person, we have every reason to joyfully give thanks to God because of the great inheritance we have, because we have been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed in the kingdom of light, and because we have re experienced redemption 
and the forgiveness of our sins. Certainly we can enter this year and throughout the year giving thanks to God. I want to conclude our time here just by taking a moment to pray. We're going to put up the passage of Scripture on the, on the PowerPoint, or if you want, you can just use your Bible. And I want you just to look at the verses 9 through 14. I just want you to read them through and just pray them for yourself. And then also, I encourage you to pray them for someone else. So let's just take a moment and go ahead and uh, read through this and say it as a prayer for yourself and for someone else. And then I will conclude with a prayer and then we'll turn it back to the, uh, the worship team. Amen. I'll turn it now over to uh, 